This morning, I want to I want to talk about the command that we have to love others as Christ has loved us. That whole section there, those two verses, are um, directions on how we are to treat one another. And I thought to myself as I was putting together the message, and I got all my points done on, on how what this looks like, I guess you might say. And I thought to myself, how do I tell a people to love one another like Christ loved us without first even talking about how Christ loved us. And then I thought, how in the world in an introduction do I deal with the love of God without hogging up all of the time before getting to my points? We could use all the words of all the languages that have ever been to try to describe the love of God and still not get it good enough. The way that God loves us is truly indescribable, and yet Jesus said, as I have loved you, that's how you are to love one another. I literally meditated on this thought that, God, I, how could I possibly move into my sermon, tell people to, to love each other like you love us? How could I do that without describing your love? And I thought, God, how could I describe your love without just taking weeks to do so? In that meditating process, the verse came to my mind that I want to share with you about Jesus. In John chapter 1, we have the explanation of who Jesus is. And I think these two words help sum up the love of Christ. Twice it says this in John chapter 1 when we're learning of Jesus. It's introducing us to who He is, His character, His nature. And I want to look at one of the verses in John 1.17. It said, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. When we think about the love of God, it's important to understand what is the love of God. What does it look like? You know, one of the tactics of the enemy is to take a language and change its meanings. We have watched this happen in our culture over the last several decades, where words that once meant something now mean something else, but we haven't changed our vocabulary. And so when it used, and and specifically here with the word love, what love used to mean doesn't mean the same thing anymore. Love at one point in time was much more balanced. Now when most people Most, not all, but when most people use the word love in our culture, what they mean is complete and total acceptance and embracing of everyone else's views. And so you'll see things like, for example, we just finished what is called Pride Month, which is a full-blown celebration of homosexuality and more. And one of the phrases that is used with that particular group is love wins. Love wins. What is meant by that is that what they mean by love wins is that love always and only embraces, accepts, and reinforces their view. But that's not love. It's just what has grown to mean in our society. Love is not embracing everything somebody believes. It is very possible for you to love me and you not embrace everything that I believe. 
And it's possible for me to love you and not embrace every single thing you believe. And so it's important that we define what is love. When we are to love each other like Christ loves, what is love? And I think it is balanced by grace and truth. We have grown to be completely imbalanced by grace. We think love is only grace, but truth helps balance that out. What is grace? Let's talk about grace first because it's part of loving people like we are supposed to love people. Grace means to do good to somebody. It means literally to give something to someone for no reason other than you love them. They didn't deserve it. They don't earn it. They didn't do anything that's worthy of it. You just do good to them because you love them. This is how God loves us, is grace. You need to know that. God does not love you because you did something good. God does not love you because you earned it. God does not love you if you get enough church services in and you read enough Bible and you pray enough. Here's the reason God loves you, because God is love, God is good, and that is why He is gracious to you. When God does good to us, it is because He is a good God who loves us because He is good. The motive for God extending goodness to us, He loves us. That's why. We do not earn it. A lot of times when we think about love, that's the only piece to that we have. But we've got to understand truth was part of love. And we see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus was somebody that was not afraid to speak truth. Even though Jesus was the most loving person that ever existed, keep in mind, folks, he was still crucified. Jesus was not some soft, weak man who was, unafra- who was afraid to ever say the hard things and ever offend anybody, so everybody just liked Jesus because he was so nice. That's just not true. That's not the biblical Jesus. Jesus said the hard things. Sometimes people will point out, yeah, but Jesus only said the hard things to religious people. That's not true at all. That is just a lie. It's just not true. Yes, he did say the hard things to the religious people. He certainly did call them out. Jesus said stuff to the religious leaders of the day like you all are just whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. That is a hard thing to tell somebody, especially to say it publicly in front of everybody else. Yep, Jesus said the hard things to those people, but he did not only say the hard things to those people. Jesus spoke the truth to everybody. Sinners that he would uh, reach, sinners that he would uh, help, he would tell them almost always at the end of whatever was going on, after showing them grace, he would say, repent, repent, or Go and sin no more. I think about the woman caught in the act of adultery. You might know the story in John chapter 8. Uh, the woman caught in the act of adultery where she, she, her life is in Jesus' hands. If you know the story, Jesus saves the woman. He doesn't condemn the woman. But after it's all said and done, you know what he tells her? Go and sin no more. The man that he heals in John chapter 5, once it's all said and done, Jesus says, go and sin no more. In other words, repent. Jesus was telling everybody the same thing. You've got to turn from your sins. And so when we talk about love this morning, we're talking about grace and truth. We're talking about being willing to be good to people, to show people goodness, to show people kindness for no other reason than God loved us, and so we want to show them the love of God 
Understand, though, I am not teaching, and neither is the Word of God, that if we love people, that somehow we're going to be silent on their sins. We need to learn how to speak the truth in love. I might speak to that a little bit more towards the end of my message. But let's get started this morning. I don't know why this thing keeps turning off. Just give me one moment. I'm going to go into my settings here. We're in display and brightness. We are in auto lock at 10 minutes. We're going to go to never. Now we're in business. We're going to talk this morning about what it looks like for us to love people like Christ has loved us. So we have this new command. This morning we talked about the new covenant. And right after giving them the new covenant, Jesus gives them the new command. So let's look at four important details about the new command to love one another. First of all, this morning, notice that the love of Christ is the standard we must follow. Jesus said, as I have loved you, so that's the standard. Now consider all that the disciples had witnessed. When Jesus said, as I have loved you, that's how you are to love others, consider all that they had witnessed. I believe when Jesus said, as I have loved you, there, there was uh, application to the 11 disciples, but it's also a, a much more collective view as in the, their community, the, the way that he loved their people as he was with them. I mean, these disciples had witnessed Jesus do good to all people. Jesus has taught the parable of the good Samaritan who you know, came by and helped somebody that nobody else would. Jesus has cared for the poor. Jesus has cared for the lepers. Jesus has cared for these disciples. Jesus has been patient with these disciples. The Bible records for us some of the foolishness of the disciples, and yet Jesus is still showing them love. He's still showing them kindness. In fact, in the week leading up to this, uh, this speech that Jesus gives his disciples, in the very week leading up to these exact words, some of his disciples have been arguing about who's going to be the greatest who gets to sit at his right hand? Jesus has basically had to rebuke him for still being selfish after all of this time. Some of them have just, they, they've made some terrible mistakes. Jesus has told them they're all about to deny him. Peter's going to deny him three times. And you know what Jesus has just done? He's washed their feet. He has served them. And he's getting ready to die, and they're getting ready to abandon him. He's still there. He's still teaching them. He's still developing them. And he says to them, as I have loved you, that's how you are to love one another. So he is the standard. Here's why that's important. Too often, we make other people the standard. We think, well, you know... We, we look at other folks and think, well, that person's not very loving. That person's not very loving. That pastor's not very loving. That deacon's not very loving. You know, that, that Sunday school teacher's not very loving. And, and, and we start to decide how we're going to be based upon how everybody else in the church is. Jesus says, don't do that. You look at me. I am the standard. And for every single one of us here, you need to understand something this morning when you, when you need to know how you are to live, how you are to behave, how you are to act, you've got to understand something. Jesus Christ is the standard. I hope that I can be some 
form of an example for you to follow. But do not misunderstand it this morning. I am not the standard. Your standard is far more superior than me. Your deacons, your mom, your dad, your pastors, your, all of us, we are not the standard. Jesus is the standard, and we must have our eyes focused on him and understand he's the goal. He's who we need to be like. He's who we should be loving other people like. You have to guard your heart against letting people be the standard. How has Jesus loved you? How patient has Christ been with you? How has Jesus treated you when you failed? When you allowed your strongholds to take over in your life and you, you fell as hard as a man or a woman could fall? How did Jesus handle you then? How patient has he been? How good has he been to you? Jesus says that's your standard and that's how you should treat other people. So the love of Christ is the standard that we must follow in this New Covenant, New Testament church. Number two, note that the love of Christ is the motive that must compel us. It's not only the standard we follow, but it is also the motive. Jesus says, as I have loved you, you also are to love. In other words, the reason that you are compelled to love other people like Christ does is because Jesus loves you that way. It is to be the motivating factor in the life of the Christian. And I cannot overstress the importance of this point. You will find that if that if you have any ulterior motive for loving people and pouring yourself out into people, if there's any ulterior motive other than Christ loved me, so I love other people, if there's any other ulterior motive, you'll find you'll eventually quit. For example, if the motive in me showing you love and being good to you and showing you kindness, if the motive is so that I get something from you in return, Maybe just appreciation. You know, maybe I don't like want you to serve me or nothing, but I just want to be appreciated. I want you to at least notice that I'm being good to you and I want you to love me back. If that's the motive, there will come a time you don't get that from somebody. And you'll find that if you're truly like a, a, you know, a Christian that's out there serving a lot of folks and you're trying to reach your people at your work and you're trying to love your neighbors and, and you're trying to, you, you'll find that if you really do this and you love people like Jesus loved people, you're going to find there's a huge majority of them that don't appreciate you back. They're not thankful. They're not grateful. They're not like, wow, you're so kind and nice to me. Thank you. I'm going to be kind and nice to you back. And if your motive for being kind and nice, is getting something from people, there's going to come a time where you're going to be like, well, what's the point? Why be nice to people? Why be good? People don't appreciate it. They'd rather me just shut up. They'd rather me just go away. They don't want me around, and so I'm just going to quit. Jesus said, no, don't get your eyes on people, and don't let your motive for your service be rooted in anything other than I loved you first. 
And you'll find that when you meditate and focus on the reality that Jesus loves you and you think about how he loves you and how much he loves you, it will always be enough to drive you to want to love other people. I was thinking about the truth of this in my own personal life. How when I, I, when I got saved, um, in fact, for me personally, for Joplin Emerson, I believe the moment that I got saved, if you could ever put like your finger on that exact moment that a person gets saved, I'm going to tell you about it in my life. I personally believe that, that if there is such a thing as a second, like where a person gets saved, I believe it's when they make that decision that God is good and they're going to turn their life to God. Now, what follows is often, often a, sometimes a walk to an altar where you might kneel and pray and confess your sins, and, and, and I, I think that always is evidence of a person that's really saved, is that they pray and they confess their sins, but I believe the moment they make that decision is when they actually become saved, because like God knows what's going on in their life. And for me, before I was able to pray, there was a second where all of a sudden I broke, and it was when I realized that God loved me. I was such a terrible person, and, and, I, and, and I, I didn't feel worthy of being loved. And that day that I got saved, as my eyes were being opened and my heart was being opened to the things of God, and, and I realized that God was real, and, and there came a moment in that service where I realized that God loved me, and I just broke. I mean, I broke. And it truly changed my life forever. I mean, from that moment, I was ready to serve God. I did, it was probably 10 minutes later before I went and knelt and actually prayed. But in my heart, my heart had turned to God. I knew that God was good. I knew that I wanted to serve Him. And I knew that whatever needed to happen for me to be His, I wanted to be that. But it was the goodness of God, the love of God that broke me that day. And all I wanted to do was tell people about this love. I just wanted to love other people the same way. I wanted people to experience what I had experienced. And this is the reality when we will focus on the love of God and we will meditate on the love of God, it becomes the motivating factor that drives us to love other people. And if there's any other reason, if there's any other motive, you will find a reason to quit. I believe that Jesus, it was, it was really important as his disciples were being handed basically the church and it was going to be put on their shoulders to take it from there. Jesus is like, y'all need to remember something. The motive that's going to drive you forward and that's going to keep you going and that's going to make sure that you never quit, that you don't give up, that you don't back out, no matter how hard it's going to be, because it's going to be hard, no matter how hard it's going to be, the very motive you've got to remember as I loved you. It becomes the motive, folks. Can you see the importance, even through the first two points here, of keeping our eyes on Jesus? You know, a lot of times you'll hear that statement, keep your eyes on the Lord, keep your eyes on the Lord, and we don't necessarily even think about what that means. But it is so important that we keep our eyes on Jesus and not on one another. You look to people long enough, you look at yourself, just looking at your own self. I mean, if I look at me long enough, I can find enough reasons to get depressed. If I look at all the things that I'm not, and I look in the mirror long enough, I'll find things about me that just are discouraging. 
But when you look to Jesus, you see he's perfect in all of his ways. He's the standard that I'm to follow. I realize not only is he the standard that I am to follow, he's the motive. That's why I'm going to go on. That's why we're going to keep loving people. Not because of any goodness in me, not because of anything special about me. And even though I've got faults and I've got failures and I've got strongholds that I'm trying to work through, the fact is he loved me through it all, and that is enough to motivate me to go out and love others and to love you and to do it the way that Jesus did it. His love for me is the motive for why we love others. Number three, not only is it the standard to follow, the motive that compels us, the love of Christ is the command we must obey. It's interesting that Jesus says this is a new commandment. It's a commandment. It's not just merely advice. This is a real important point this morning. Most of the time, we Christians think about this type of Christianity. The type of Christianity where you truly are like Jesus. And you love people like Jesus loved people. We don't think of it in a commandment sense. We think of it more as like top tier Christian. Like this is just some really good counsel and really good advice if you were going to be top-tier Christian. Like, this would make your Christian life better. People around you would really think, wow, that person is like a real good Christian. But it's pretty much just good advice and great counsel. No, this is a commandment. We are commanded to do this. Now, there are two things about commandments, the the why does God give commandments, that I want us to understand. Number one, one of the reasons God gives commandments is to emphasize their importance. Of all the things that God tells us to do, this, to, to, to be separated and called an official commandment of God emphasizes its importance in the Christian life. Number two, God gives us commandments, generally speaking, because we do not do them on our own. They are something we must be told to do. We are not, generally speaking, going to naturally do these things. And so God says, I've got to command you to do it. And you're going to have to do it out of obedience. Real important point here that is obvious but needs to be stated. You're not always going to feel like loving people the way that Jesus does. And if you only commit to loving people like Christ loves people when you feel like it, you're not going to do it very often. In fact, what you're going to find out is that generally speaking, you're going to only offer the same degree of love to people that they offer to you. And when you love people, if they love you back, you're going to be extra loving with that group of people. But if you've got somebody that's mean-spirited and angry, you're not going to show that person a lot of love. You know what Jesus said about that? Jesus said basically um, in in another one of his teachings, Jesus said basically this, 
what good is it if you just love the people that love you? Like even generally, even the sinners of the world, the Gentiles, they understand that type of love. They love the people that love them back. What, what good is that if that is the only way that you love? But listen to me carefully, folks. That is generally the way that Christians love. Generally, we are loving to those who love us to the same degree that they're willing to love us back. And if we extend love to people and we show grace and kindness and we go out of our way to be good to people and they despitefully use us and persecute us and mock us, generally, we Christians are like, well, fine. There are a lot of people here, even in the sound of my voice, you walk around with a chip on your shoulder towards certain people that you work with. They've rubbed you the wrong way. You don't like them. You don't like the way they treat you. You don't like their attitude, and you've got a little bit of an attitude towards them. This is why we need the command. This is a commandment. Whether you feel like it or not, love people the way that Jesus has loved you. So I would ask again, how has Jesus loved you? How patient has he been with you? How kind has he been to you? How gracious has he been to you? Jesus, I want you to consider him as our example. Especially when I'm talking about loving people that you don't feel like loving. Jesus died all alone on the cross. Like all of those people that he had been good to. All of the people that he had healed. Think about the multitude. You know one of the things that the Gospel of John tells us about the, the record of miracles? I think it's in John chapter 20. It might be the end of verse chapter 19. But John says that all of the miracles that Jesus did, that, that it couldn't even be recorded. Like all that the, they tell us about here is just barely scratching the surface. It gives this picture of Jesus walking around all day and just taking care of people and loving people and healing people. Now, in addition to the people that Jesus healed, consider the families that it impacted. You know, you got Jairus and his wife, their daughter was the one that was raised back from the dead, but how would that have impacted? their home, and their cousins, their family. Think about all these people that Jesus did work for. And now consider at the end of his life, a bunch of them are out there in the crowd chanting, crucify him, let his blood be on us and our children. And you know what he's doing? He's still dying for them. Consider Jesus having nails driven through his hands, and Jesus, while it's happening, praying to the Father, Father, please forgive them, for they know not what they've done. If anybody knew what it was to love people who weren't loving him back, it was Jesus. And Jesus says, this is my commandment to you. That as I have loved you, you love others. Brothers and sisters, in a lot, probably for a lot of us, 
there's, there is a, a, a degree to which we all need to repent of how we treat people. And we need to love people like Jesus loved people. It is a command. It's either obeyed or it's broken. And I would ask you the question, when you look at the last month of your life, have you obeyed this command to love people like Jesus has? Or have you broken it? Number four, finally this morning, the love of Christ is the example we must display. In verse 35, he said, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This kind of love. He says, this is the way people will know that you're an actual follower of mine. They will see your love for one another. Now, how many of you have ever heard, you know, I don't go to church, I don't, or I, sometimes even I don't believe in God because of all the hypocrites in the church? At any time in your life have you ever had any person tell you that? Most of us have heard somebody say something similar. So I don't go to church. I don't believe in church. I don't believe in God because of all the hypocrites in the church. So let me say something about that. First of all, to those specific people who say that, when they stand before God, that will not work as an excuse. That is not a valid excuse for denying Jesus and not following Jesus. That's not, that's not an excuse that's going to work. Nobody's going to get to heaven or, or stand before God on judgment day and say, God, I rejected you and I refuse to believe in you and I rejected Jesus and I refuse to believe in Jesus because old Jimmy in my life was a hypocrite. God's going to say, what does that have to do with me? And so that's not a valid excuse. That said, I want to acknowledge something that is very important this morning. If Jesus said, this is the way that people will know you're my disciples, well then no wonder people are like, I don't believe that person and I think that person is a hypocrite, when they witness Christians who refuse to love each other the way that we're supposed to love each other. I mean, I, I think we have to acknowledge that that is a legitimate statement. Jesus said, here's the way they're going to know. Well, if they're looking at us and we aren't loving each other with this supernatural love, then why in the world would they ever think that we were different? This is the way that people know. And when they know that we are truly followers of Jesus they're often going to be much more open to our message. You know, I remember the very first time that I came in contact with somebody that I knew, that I knew, that I knew was a Christian. And I, and, and I could tell in this person's demeanor, their attitude, there was something different about them. I could tell that they loved me, that they just loved people in general. And, and, I'll, and I'll never forget my attitude towards that person. I was a non-believer. But here was my attitude towards that person. I don't believe what that person says. I don't believe this book. But 
at least I know that person's a real follower of Jesus, and I'm willing to listen to them. You know who I wasn't willing to listen to? All of my friends that I grew up with that were no different than anybody in the world. They certainly didn't love people like Jesus loved people. They lived like sinners, talked like sinners, acted like sinners, but by golly, they went to church and believed in the Bible. I, would, I had no care for what I was, I just did not care what they wanted to teach me about Jesus. And maybe what they were going to teach me was accurate. Maybe they were sinners that had an accurate understanding of Jesus and whatever they would have told me might have even been true. It didn't matter. My heart was closed off because I had no assurance they were really followers of Jesus to start with. Who wants somebody that they don't even think is a follower of Christ teaching them about Christ? And so when people know that we are Christians, not always, but generally, they're going to be more open to whatever our testimony is, whatever it is that we want to speak. And I don't think anything could be more important than if I'm trying to win a people for Christ and we're trying to reach our neighbors and we're trying to win this world for Jesus, I don't think anything could be more important than starting with the foundation that they know we're the real deal. We're followers of Jesus. And how do they know? They see and witness the love of God in us. The Bible tells us that we are to be holy as Christ is holy. I believe truly that there is nothing that demonstrates this holiness more than loving people like this. The word holy, it, it means to be set apart. It means to be other than. There's really not anything to compare it to. When we talk about God being holy, it's a big word that encompasses all that God is, like God's grace, God's mercy, God's patience, God's, God's love, right? God's forgiveness. There's a lot of things that God is. All of those things are encompassed in the term God is holy holy. There is nothing to compare him to. I mean, what else can you compare God to? There is nothing else. There is no one else. He is all by himself holy. And God says to you and I that we are to be holy like he is holy. I don't think there's anything that demonstrates true holiness to an onlooking world more than loving people like Jesus loved people. There was a time in my life that I very brief time in my life, a couple of years in my early Christianity, I thought holiness really meant if we're going to be other than everyone else, that meant I dressed different than you. It meant that women had long dresses. It meant that men wear suits to church. And so we look different than everybody else. Folks, I don't have a problem with dressing up. Uh, you'll notice I don't wear a suit coat every Sunday, but I dress up for church. But understand something. There is not a single degree of holiness that is added to me by putting on some exterior clothing. The holiness that the Word of God talks about is so much deeper than that. Biblical holiness is an inward change that is so real, it changes the way I am exterior-wise, what I do outward with my actions towards people. And the holiness that people should look at, they should look at people like you and I, and say, man, I've never seen anybody who loves people that way. I've never seen anybody be so good to people that are so bad to them. <laughs> I've never seen anybody so quick to forgive, so quick to be gracious. 
People should be able to look at us and witness our love for one another and our love for people and say this is a separate people. Jesus was, uh, I, I believe, speaking generally in his love for all people. I believe that. John 3.16 teaches us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But at this moment, understand Jesus is speaking to 11 disciples. And I think there's a real important lesson for the church here, folks. We are to love one another. And the world should be able to tell that there's something different about us in the way that we love one another. A non-Christian that decides to join us on a church service and step in. If there's anybody here this morning that's not saved, I pray that you'll be saved before you leave this place. But if you don't really know God, I pray that one thing that you can see when you walk into this building, I pray, is that we really do love each other. They should be able to see that. They should be able to see it. There's something different about this group of people. They love each other. And it separates us. And there's a, there's a warning that I want to give to us, and I want to give it in, in, in love and compassion, but it's a warning this morning. Brothers and sisters, if the way the world knows that we are Christians is they see our love for one another, do not be ignorant of the devil's schemes. One of the ways, then, that the world will doubt who we are is by seeing our divisions. And so the enemy will work to divide us. And we have to be cautious about divisions in the church. I don't think this has ever been truer since the introduction of the, the internet. Some of the people that you know we blast in our own body of Christ... We would have never blasted before, never would have even known they existed, never would have heard of their names. But now, because we've got worldwide internet, we can know everything or think we know everything about everybody. We can cut little clips here and out of everybody that we want. We can make anybody that we want look evil, sound evil. I'm going to give you an example in my own life of, of me. When I was in my early 20s, I was like a classic, immature Christian who thinks they know everything about everyone. And I used to cut down T.D. Jakes. You might not even know who he is. If you don't know who he is, you don't need to. But I used to blast that guy. Publicly, privately. I'd tell anybody, listen, T.D. Jakes, you can't even be a Christian. And uh, the things that I said about him, they're just awful. And it's because I listened to a couple of YouTube videos that were clipped to sound a certain way and I was an ignorant fool and just believed everything that I heard that I wanted to believe that, you know, pushed the narrative that I wanted to hear. And uh, I'd heard a whole four minutes of the man speak, and so I was an expert on what he believed. And then I had some friends that went down to his church and made me so stinking mad, made me question their salvation. That's a true story I'm confessing right here. I questioned the very salvation of my own friends because they went to that guy's church just to visit on a vacation. And then, and what I believed was, I believed that the man was what was called a oneness Pentecostal, a man that denied the Trinity. 
denied the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then one day in my house, I just had on Christian TV, and T.D. Jakes was preaching, and I was going to turn it off so that I didn't have that demonic spirit coming into my home. And I, as I'm walking and I'm watching this man preach, something didn't feel right in my spirit about the things I'd said about him. And I could not stop listening. And so I kind of said on my heart, well, I'm going to listen and I'm going to listen because I'm going to keep listening. And, and if I have to, I'll listen to 100 sermons until I find something. And this is God's honest truth about Joplin Emerson and T.D. Jakes. I listened to over 100 hours of that man's preaching, and I finally gave up. And I knew before 100 hours ever came, I was wrong. But I did listen to over 100 hours, and not one single time did he ever say anything that I'd been telling everybody he was. And I learned a lesson real quick. You can make a YouTube tutorial say anything you want it to. And you could take just about anything out of context in this era of time. And you better be real careful what you say about another church, another pastor, another man of God when you've done nothing, when you haven't heard more than 20 or 30 minutes of somebody. And I, 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 this, there's a lesson here for us to be careful about what we say about other churches, about other people. I know there's a time and a place for calling out heresy. But you better be careful what you call heresy. I was wrong about one man. I was really, 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 really wrong. I know that Paul named a few people by name that were saying things they shouldn't be saying. But I think we've got to be careful with it. And I think we've got to be careful not to uh, allow ourselves to take that bait of the enemy and all of a sudden get so focused on what's wrong with all the people in the church and where we start getting nitpicky. And we've got to stop and get our eyes back on Jesus. And we've got to ask ourselves the question, so how's Jesus loved me? We've got to ask ourselves, even with these teachers that maybe we don't like, how does Jesus love them? And am I, in this exact moment, loving them the same way? Listen, I'm not saying we abandon truth. I started off my sermon by telling you it's grace balanced by truth. I'm not saying we abandon truth. But I'm telling you this. One of the ways the world knows that we are Christ's disciples is they're witnessing our love for one another. And if they're watching us do nothing but devour one another and point out faults in one another and be negative about everybody, we are hindering the cause of Christ. And so there's a warning in here in how we treat our fellow Christians, folks. By, all, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. What matters most is that the world see that we have love for one another. The same way that Christ has loved us, that we're loving each other with that same love, and that it's visible to an onlooking world. The days ahead of us, are going to be uh, difficult to navigate, folks. Uh, we are living in a society that is becoming more and more godless. Uh, we're living in a society where evil has raised its ugly head in ways that we never would have thought imaginable. We've got naked men walking in parades, showing themselves to children. Just recently, last couple of weeks in Canada, not far from here, we've got and it, it, it's just crazy what's going on. We've got, you know, uh, 
urinals being put in the women's restrooms, LAX, National Airport, Airport in Los Angeles. We've got just some of the most evil and wicked stuff that we've never had to deal with before. And it's here and it's it's not going away. And some of the days that are ahead of us for the church, folks, they're going to be difficult to navigate. We're going to have to say the hard things. We're going to have to be the ones that are willing to say the truth. But I pray the Holy Spirit this morning will help us to see, folks, it's going to, it's, it's going to be like hitting a gong in someone's ear if we don't learn how to do it with love. And it is the love of Christ, if you will, that earns us the right to say the hard thing. You will find that when people know that they know that they know that you love them, they are much more willing to let you say the hard thing. We have got to have a revival of love for one another in the church. We've got to have a revival of love for people in the church. 